49 years ago last month, I graduated from Lawton High School. The night of our graduation, myself and a bunch of my buddies were planning, secretly planning, a huge party. A party at which we clearly intended to drink copious amounts of adult beverages. Adult beverages. Beer. <laughs> After the graduation ceremony, when I asked my dad, I told my dad, I said, I need the car. Uh, I'm going to go be with some of my friends. We got a little gathering. He wouldn't give me the keys. Somehow, he knew exactly what I was up to. <laughs> I was livid. How unfair of him to not give me the keys to the car so that I could go be with my friends. On my graduation night, the biggest night of my life up until that point, and yet my dad refused to give me the keys. I bartered, I cried, I, I did everything I could. I can distinctly remember this moment very vividly. But he would not give me the keys and let me, he wouldn't even let me leave the house. I obeyed, but I wasn't happy about it, to say the least. Has God ever asked you to do something that you weren't happy about? Have you ever been asked even or by a, a boss to do a task or a job at which you thought, eh, this is not what I want to do, but I'm going to obey even though I'm not happy about it? Or maybe a school teacher has asked you to do some project that you thought, this is the biggest piece of junk, this is just busy work, but you obeyed. Even though you weren't happy about it, you did it. And so does God ever ask us to do something, to obey, in which we're not going to be real happy about it? Now, before I answer that question, or we look at it, we need to look a little bit at what the Scriptures have to say about obedience. It will probably not come as a surprise, or at least I hope it doesn't come as a surprise, that the Bible is very much in favor of obedience to God. <laughs> it's, it's there everywhere. And it's never optional. Ever. God did not say to Adam and Eve in the garden, you may eat of any of the trees of the garden except this one tree. Well, if it looks good, yeah, go ahead. You can eat from it. There was no option there. It was don't eat. Neither did Jesus say to us when he, uh, before, right before he was ascended back up into heaven, neither did he say to us, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Unless, of course, maybe it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. There was no option there. You can read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, and there is never an optional command. It's never optional. Neither are any of them negotiable. 
I've searched and I cannot find any place in the scriptures in which God gave a command and then the, the person that he's given the command to negotiates that command with God. God lessens it. Now, you can find examples where people negotiate with God, but it's always about something God was going to do. Genesis 18 and, and, and Abraham negotiating what the outcome of Sodom was going to be, that, but that was what God was going to do. Nowhere can you find any passage of Scripture that says that anyone ever negotiated a command with God. God's obedience is not optional, and it's non-negotiable. Now, how does God communicate this obedience to us? Well, it does it several ways. In the Old Testament, particularly, uh, he does it oftentimes with this command here. The most famous of which is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's called the great Shema. Because that word here is Shema, Hear. And when a Jewish person heard the word here, it wasn't like how we hear the word here. When I hear the word here, it's like, yeah, I hear you, which means some sound waves have tickled my ears and I've heard. That's not the way Jewish people understood hearing. When, they, when someone said hear to them, it meant you understood it and you obeyed. You obey. And so every time in the Old Testament when we hear this word hear, it's, all, it's just like saying obey, obey. Hear, O, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Obey that. And he goes on to say, by the way, the passage that Jesus quotes where he says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The great commandment. That's what we're to obey. Hear. So that's one way that God communicates this, this, this idea of, of, of obedience. He just simply says, hear. That's probably the most straightforward way, the, the most common way that he communicates obedience is simply in the command, the directive, the imperative itself. There's literally hundreds of commands and directives and in, 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 uh, uh, Imperatives found throughout both the Old and the New Testament. In every one of them, obedience is simply implied. There's a, when I drive, there's a street sign uh, in, in my, in, I live in Edmond, that, that, that tells me the speed limit. 35 MPH is all this sign says. That's it. 35 MPH. I don't like that sign. <laughs> it feels to me like it ought to be at least 45 miles an hour. And it does to everybody passing me. Doing at least that much. But there's that sign. 35 MPH. It doesn't make me very happy to obey that. But if I were to be caught by the police, which... Not so much on that, but rolling stop signs, yes, I've gotten that one. But if I were to disobey that and be stopped by the police and standing before the judge, and if I told the judge, judge, the sign just says 35 miles an hour. It doesn't tell me I have to obey it. I might as well reach for my wallet because he's not buying it. It's implied in the command. 
35 MPH implies that you obey. And that's the way it is with every imperative, every command, every directive throughout both the Old and the New Testament. When God says, this is what I want you to do, he doesn't have to stop and say, oh, and by the way, obey it. It's just there. It's implied, just as it is in that sign. So that's the most common way that God communicates that he wants us to obey. Not only when he says here, but when he just gives the imperative, the command. And because of that, it's in the New Testament, we, don't, we really don't, we don't, there's, there's not a whole lot in the New Testament talking about obedience specifically, the, the, at least the abstract idea of obedience. There's not a lot there. There's no verse, much less even a, a, a verses, much less a, a, a large section or a chapter of, of the New Testament which talks about this idea of you must obey, blah, 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 obey, obey, obey. It's not there. There are little hints and, and tips, though, that we see from time to time. And I want to call your attention to one of them this morning, one that we often o- overlook. And that's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. This is in the introduction of Paul's letter to the Romans. And towards the close of his introduction to the, to the, the letter and, and he's writing to the Romans, he says, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith. The very reason for Paul's apostleship, the very call on his life, was to bring about obedience. Now, he doesn't expound upon that, but that was there at the very beginning. He shows us the importance of obedience. Now, if that's all Paul wrote on obedience. That in itself would be enough. And he does talk a little bit about obedience in Romans 6 where he talks about we're no longer a, a slave to God, but we're, we're no longer a slave to sin, but we're a slave to God. And he, he mentions that in Romans 6, but he, but he closes his epistle in Romans 16 with these words. Now to him is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Go back to the previous one. There it is again, to bring about the obedience of faith. Verbatim, exactly how he opened the letter. Paul, trained in Greek rhetoric and certainly familiar with uh, Hebrew literature, was using a literary device called an inclusio. It's when you start a piece of literature, and you end a piece of literature with the same idea, thought, or words. And here Paul is using verbatim the exact same words that he began the letter with when he says, uh, according to the, see, to bring about the obedience of faith. He said that at the beginning. He said that at the end. The purpose of this was to frame his entire letter with this idea. It's not the, the center of what he's trying to communicate, that was found in the middle. But he is framing all that he says in this magnificent, incredible letter. 
with obedience. That's how important obedience is. It's that important. And it is never optional. It is never negotiable. And yet, we think it's optional. And we think it's negotiable. Ever since Adam and Eve decided that, God, you really don't mean that we can't eat from this tree. I mean, it looks good, probably going to make me happy. Ever since that moment, we have been thinking that what God says is optional or we try to negotiate it. We have not stopped to this day. Now, why is that? I could give you several reasons. Let me just give you what I think is, is one of the more important ones. The reason we think it's optional when God tells us to do something, or the reason we think it's perhaps negotiable, is that we look at what God asks us to do and we think, yeah, it's not going to really make me happy. I don't, I don't, I don't really like that. Or that just doesn't seem fair, God. Are you sure about that? That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. How can that be right? In fact, sometimes we even say, God, that feels harsh. We may even say, that is so unloving. And we apply what I would call, a, a, what I call the hermeneutic of happiness, which simply means that we look at God's commands and we see them, we interpret them through the grid of what makes me happy. We see them through the grid of what we think justice is, what we think is right, what we think is harsh or unloving. We see that through that grid, through that hermeneutic of happiness. We look at these commands and when we look through that grid we can negotiate. We can take them as optional. And we do it over and over and over again. Let me give you one example. Most of you are probably familiar with the great theologian Karl Barth a man who in the 20th century was arguably the greatest theologian that lived that whole hundred years. He almost single-handedly turned back the liberalism that was rampant in most of the mainline denominations. And yet, Karl Barth lived in what one writer called steadfast adultery. If anyone knew the scriptures... If anyone knew that what he was doing was wrong, when he brought into his home with his children and lived for many decades, Charlotte von Kirschbaum, it would have been Karl Barth. And yet, in his letters that have just now become, some of his letters that have just now become published, we read that he justified this adultery on the basis of, it just feels so right. He wrote to Charlotte, and he said, 
What we are doing, quote, cannot be just the devil's work. For me to live in adultery with you can't be the devil. That can't be. It's got to be God. It's got to be God. Karl Barth justified and negotiated and optionally took this clear command. Do not commit adultery. If Jesus would have negotiated what God desired and asked of him, he would have never have gone to the cross. Ever. If anyone had a legitimate grounds, a firm argument to say, wait a minute, God, you're asking me to do what? You want me to humiliate myself before a Roman court? I haven't done anything wrong. How is that just? That's not just. You want me to do that? And you want me to let them condemn me to execution? That's what you want me to do? How can that be right? That seems so harsh, God. That seems so unjust. That seems so unloving for you to ask that of me. And then you want me to carry the, the, this, the, the, my executioner, my cross, across the town to the hill where they're going to strip me naked and hang me on a cross in which I will endure excruciating pain after hours, perhaps days, and, and, and slowly suffocate to death all the time when I'm in this immense pain. That's what you want me to do? That's what you're asking me to do? There is no way Jesus could have said to God, that is fair, that is just, that is clearly too harsh and too unloving. I won't do it. But what did he do? Philippians 2.8. And being found in, the, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was obedient in the face of what everything said to him. This is not right. This is unfair. This is unjust. This is too harsh. He was obedient to what God asked him to do. So let me ask the question that I asked at the beginning. Would God ever ask you to do something that seems unjust, that seems too harsh, that seems unloving? Would he ever ask you to do that? He did with his son. And by the way, I need to click with the, this obedience of Jesus here is not, it's a Trinitarian obedience. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they all agreed to this course of action. It wasn't as if the Father is some kind of philicidal sadist who was trying to just well, do something mean to my son. All parts of the Trinity agreed to this obedience, agreed to this course of action. And all the Trinity agreed to this, but it was a request. It was, a, it, was a, it was what God asked. And it's what the Son was obedient to. 
So would God ever ask you? Perhaps not in the harshness or the, the extremity that he's asked of his son, but would he ask you? Something that's not going to make you happy. He has, he will, and he has done it thousands of times throughout the history of the church. If not hundreds of thousands of times, God has asked obedience that at the time did not seem fair, right, just, and, but he's asked it. Let me give you just one example of, amongst multitudes that I could give you. At the very conclusion of the Gospel of John, John chapter 21, we are told that Jesus speaking to Peter says to him, this is before, this is after Jesus' resurrection, before his ascension, he says to Peter, he gives him a command, he gives him a directive, he says, feed my sheep. The very next thing that Jesus says to Peter after he gives him this directive, which is not optional, it's not negotiable, it's feed my sheep. The very next thing he gives him, or tells him is, oh, and Peter, when you're old, your hands are going to be tied, and people are going to lead you not where you don't want to go. And then John, in his little commentary on this comment of Jesus, says, Jesus was telling Peter how he was going to die as a prisoner led to his death. And then, after he gives this lamentable prophetic word, it's everything we teach not to do in the school of kingdom ministry. <laughs> he says to Peter, follow me. Between this prophetic word and what you're going to be led as a prisoner to your death are two commands, bookending the implication is clear. Peter, if you follow me, if you feed my sheep, this is what's going to happen. Well, Peter said, I don't know. You know, that, 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 that didn't feel real good to me. And I don't think I'm going to be very happy with that one. <laughs> uh, can we talk about this, Jesus? Can we uh, maybe negotiate this a little bit, uh, make it a little bit easier? Can I like maybe like die in Hawaii or someplace? <laughs> There's no negotiating the, uh, the commands of God. It's not negotiable. It's not an option. Thankfully, Peter, we learned from church history, church tradition anyway, that this is in fact what happened to him. He, was, he died as a prisoner, probably in Rome, led to his crucifixion in which he, not only, he said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Hang me upside down. Now, there is no way, as Peter hung on that cross, that he's singing, when you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> God asks us to do things that don't always make us happy. And I could give you countless illustrations, one right there in the Bible in the very last chapter of the book of John, John chapter 21. So let me ask you again. Has God ever asked you to do anything that would make you unhappy? Now, 
the good news. And I have not minced my words here to make this truth more palatable. <laughs> I've never been accused of somebody who calms it down. <laughs> but I want to give you some good news here. The good news is that the God who has this obedience is the God who loves you far beyond anything you can even fathom or know. He is all loving. He is all good. He is all merciful. His mercies are new every morning. His love abounds forever. This is the God who is asking us obedience. And, and get this, this is critical. This loving, good God, when he asks something of you, when he asks obedience of you, just like he asked it of Jesus, there's a purpose in mind. It's a good purpose. It's not a cruel purpose. It's not like, Jesus, I want you to die. It's, oh, it's going to be great. I want you just to die. No, there was a purpose. It accomplished everything. It, it accomplished your salvation. It gave you everything. So when he asked something of you or Jesus, of anyone, it's always because there is a great and awesome and glorious purpose involved. Always. Always. You can count on it. Just like my dad, for crying out loud, even he recognized that what he was asking of me when he wouldn't give me the keys to the car, he was trying to save my life and probably did. And so even when we look at what God is asking us to do, and it doesn't look fair or just or any of those things. Neither did I think that what I, my dad was asking of me was fair or just or right. But it was. Take off the grid, the blinders in which you look at the, the commands of God with this hermeneutic of happiness that it has to be for it has to appear to be make me happy. It has to make it has to be something that looks just. Even when you don't understand it, as as I did not, when my dad asked me not to take the keys to the car, I did not understand. Even when you don't understand something that God has placed before you or somehow caused to happen, theologize that however you want. But when that happens. Even when it doesn't look just, even when it looks harsh, even when it looks unloving, it's God. And it's not optional. And it's not negotiable. So now let me just pry just one last time just a little bit deeper. What about, has God ever asked you something with your finances? Specifically, in your giving. Even more specifically, and I can say this because I receive absolutely no salary from this church. <laughs> you're giving to this church. What is God saying to you? Well, yeah, I probably ought to be given this much, but, you know, that doesn't make much sense to do that. Besides, I'd miss my morning latte if I had to give that up. <laughs> Hermeneutic of happiness. What makes you happy? 
what seems right, you can justify just about everything, even in your finances. Here's one. What about your sexuality? Some of you are going, oh, please, Robert, don't go there. Don't go there, please. And I'm not. <laughs> At least today. But I will say that if there's one area that we apply this grid of interpretation, this hermeneutic of happiness, it's in our sexuality. Karl Barth being the prime example. And it's not just married people and the issue with adultery. It's, it's married, it's single, it's men, it's women, it's straight, and those with same-sex attraction. It affects everyone. We apply this, does it make me happy? Does this seem fair? Does this seem right? We apply that to the commands of God when it comes to sexuality. Well, I think I've meddled enough this morning. Let me just close with this. Some of you today, the obedience God is asking of you is simply to say yes to Him. You've been putting it off. You have negotiated it with God. You've said, well, maybe someday I will. I, you know, I, you've given a no, any number of reasons and God is saying to you today, no more. Obedience. Obey. Follow me. Follow me. Some of you, most of us, God is asking an obedience of us in an area of our life that I haven't even addressed. Maybe it's not your sexuality. Maybe it's not your finances. Who knows what it is? But he's talking to you. I know that he is because I asked him that he would. <laughs> so he's talking to you right now. Maybe you're feeling a conviction. Maybe you're feeling a heaviness. Maybe you're feeling a kind of a sickness in your stomach. You know this thing, this one area of your life, God is saying to you right now, I want your obedience. I want you to obey me. And you know what it is. I'm not going to point it out. I'm not going to call it out. You know what it is because the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. If that is you, and I know we all have different things. But if that's you specifically, and I'm not going to ask you to, to name it, I'm just going to say, I'm going to ask you to obediently respond to that by coming forward. By coming up here right now and standing before me and saying, there's an area in my life, God, that I have not yet been obedient. You know it because the Holy Spirit's speaking it to you. And if, it, and if you're the person if you're the person who's not been saying yes to Jesus, if you have not responded because you know that he wants you to respond, I want you to respond right now. I want you to come forward. I want you to say yes to Jesus in obedience to him. Now, I'd like the worship team to come on up. I'd like the ministry team to come up. 
And uh, as, the minister, as the worship team closes, this is in prayer, and I think we've got about five minutes uh, before we officially dismiss, as the, as the worship team closes us in prayer, uh, uh, our service in worship, I want those of you up here that have come because you're, you have something that you either say, need to say yes to God or you need to say, I'm going to be obedient in. I want you just to stand there and just to talk to God. Somebody from the worship team will eventually come and minister to you, may pray for you. So I invite the ministry team to do that. And I'm going to close this in prayer as we begin to worship. Father, we thank you that obedience to you is not optional. It is non-negotiable, but you're good, you're loving, you're kind. And I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, come even now. Bring conviction to all of us in the areas in which we are not obedient to you. Lord, we know that if we are obedient, it's, it's for our own good. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you loved us that much. Thank you that Jesus was obedient and he went to the cross. Thank you, Lord. We praise you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.